Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Um, I've been inspired by our children's ministry and uh, some of the props that they use, so I brought a couple of props. Uh, Even Pastor Adam has been an encouragement to me when he's uh, used some of his props. I'll stay away from the whiteboard because we know that uh, nobody can see that that anyways. But I do want to talk to you today about uh, a tale of two piggy banks. Um, And I guess my first question is just, do people even still use these I mean, I haven't used cash for I don't know how long. Um, hardly ever see coins or change or even dollar bills these days, it seems. But I remember having a piggy bank at a very early age and using it to save. I never remember getting an allowance, <clears throat> but from once, once in a while, maybe you get a little treat or, or you get a gift or you would find some loose change on the side of the street. Or, you know, I, one of the things I did is I collected bottles and took them to our local corner store and traded them in and got some loose chains and brought home and put it in my piggy bank. But it wasn't until I was in junior high that I remember getting um, my first regular income, my first job, as it were, and it was delivering the newspaper. Started with the Edmonton Sun and then moved on to the Edmonton Journal. And the great part about the the journal is it was way more popular than the Sun. I didn't have to, like, ride my bike over all of sort of uh, southeast Edmonton. I could just focus on the community right uh, where our home was. And it started delivery in the afternoon. And during the five years that I actually delivered the paper, it was moved to a morning delivery, which was a little harder for me at the time. But one of the things that you had to do as um, part of having a paper route was to go to all of your subscribers and collect. And people hated collecting because it just took so much time. And you'd have to go and ring the doorbell if they weren't home. You'd have to make multiple trips back. But in essence, one of the things that this job did was it taught me some good things. It taught me about responsibility and commitment. It talked about it taught me about a work ethic um, because there was um, uh, you know something that had to be be done. But it was really uh, a bit of a business model as well, in that you actually would buy the papers from the Edmonton Journal at a discounted rate, and then you would essentially resell them. And so you had to give money to the journal, but you, on the other hand, had to collect from the subscribers. And uh, because I turned this into, you know, a little business, I actually had to hire other staff because it, well, I couldn't do it. So I hired my sister to do it for me um, because I had school sports and things like that after school and I wouldn't get home in time sometimes to do the, to do the papers. So Karen, if you're watching, I'm sorry, I probably owe you some back pay um, because I nearly didn't pay you enough and certainly not what I took in. So it was kind of a win-win for me. Um, But anyways, when you're collecting, you come home with pockets full of bills and cash and coins and this would accumulate and you'd stuff it into your piggy bank. And when the piggy bank was full, you would take it down the street and go to a bigger piggy bank. And uh, when I had enough in the other bank, I would go and take it out and I would go and spend it on what kids spent in, you know, the 80s. And that was stereo equipment. And so I had a great stereo at the time. And um, those were my treasures. Money in my piggy bank and all of my stereo equipment. Now, I had um, other uh, things that didn't own, I didn't own them yet, but I had other treasures. And these were in the form of posters on my wall. I had a poster of a side profile of a beautiful Lamborghini. And then I had another one. I'm pretty sure it said justification for higher education. 
And I don't know what higher education it was actually referring to, probably not uh, a teacher or a pastor, Um, but it was a picture, this poster was a picture of a house uh, on the ocean shore overlooking, you know, sitting on the cliff of the ocean, and you saw a five-car garage, and of course in the garage the doors were all open, and you saw the Ferrari and the Lamborghini and the Porsche and all the other really nice cars. But there on my wall was what I would say my worldview and the way that I viewed money and possessions. Now, at some point I grew up, I grew out of that, and I was challenged to think of another type of treasure, another type of investment, a different kind of piggy bank. Now, it didn't happen all at once, but it was subtle, and I was poked here and prodded there and challenged to think of these other types of investments. It's still an area that I'm growing and learning in, but I don't have posters of nice cars on my wall anymore. That's what we're going to talk about today, is a different kind of piggy bank. We're going to continue in our series as we continue in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. We're in chapter 6, and those are the verses that Ronnie read, from us, Ronnie read for us, 19 to 23. Chapter 5, we looked at these acts of righteousness, and then over the last four weeks in Christmas, we covered things like giving and prayer and fasting, these acts of piety or acts of devotion. And now we're going to shift into these next four weeks, acts of commitment or acts of loyalty or trust. And the emphasis throughout this series, as we have seen, is really asking ourselves what's going on inside of our hearts, and then how does our heart inform our actions? Jesus was laying out here in the Sermon on the Mount a vision of his kingdom for his followers and his participants in that kingdom, and what some of the practices that they should engage in. And so over these next four weeks, we'll talk about what are some of the commitments we make. And in this passage today, I want to draw out a few contrasts that I believe Jesus is making here. As followers, quite simply, we are called to be different. Because the kingdom of Jesus is very different from the kingdom of the world. And the the values of Jesus' kingdom are very different than the values of the world. As followers, we can't kind of sit on the fence Because we're going to be influenced or sucked into the ways of the world, the way that the world thinks, acts, and believes, and then not the way that Jesus thinks and acts. And so we're called to make a choice. And when we make that choice to follow Jesus, we then spend really the rest of our life reorienting ourselves to his rule and reign in our lives. Because our worldview has changed. We now have different values. And nowhere is the contrast between Jesus' kingdom and an earthly kingdom more drastic than when we think about money and possessions. And so these two piggy banks contrast these two, and we'll see that they're very different. So the contrast between two treasures is the first thing we'll look at. And this first contrast is a comparison that Jesus makes is really on the basis of what lasts. It is so stark a contrast that it really should be very easy for us to decide where we will put our emphasis, our priorities. And there are two different 
treasures that he talks about. He talks about an earthly treasure, and he talks about a heavenly treasure. So let's first look at the earthly treasure. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, how do we know what an earthly treasure is? So we can say this. Earthly treasures are, first of all, they're, they're insecure. Because Jesus says here that, that moths and vermin, or think mice or rats if you must, um, they eat them. They, they eat these earthly treasures. I remember having uh, a shed in our backyard in Ontario where we had lawn furniture stored in there. And guess what? We had mice get into the cushions, draw all of the, the stuffing out of the cushions, and take it over and build a nice little nest inside a barbecue. They're forever ruined because one little hole and the mice uh, tearing these things apart. Earthly treasures, we can also say, are then consumable. We, we use them up. Some translations that you might have actually use the word rust here instead of vermin, the way the New International Version translates it. And, and it's also a good word because when you think about cars, maybe, that are like eaten away by rust, that's the point that, that Jesus is trying to make here, that, that these, these things are temporary. They, they fade away. There are also things that can be stolen by thieves. So that kind of puts a frame on what an earthly treasure is. They're insecure, but they're also material things that we can, we can see and we can, we can touch. So earthly treasures are material things because material things don't last. And yet materialism competes for heart space. Uh, materialism is that pursuit of things and comfort and luxury that we know we can so easily get drawn towards. And even in this context, we could spend time talking about consumerism as well, where, where we're just spending more and more on things and more things. And this picture that Jesus draws up, he says, don't store up for yourselves. Other translations, don't pile up or lay up for yourselves these treasures. And this picture of piling up treasures was common and widespread in the traditions of Judaism as well, even as they are today. Now, what Jesus is really getting at here is the issue really is not these things in themselves, but it's the selfish accumulation of stuff. Notice Jesus says, treasures for yourselves. He's speaking directly to the contrast of our own extravagant and luxurious living while we then maybe lack compassion for the poor or compassion for others. Well, those are earthly treasures. What then, in contrast, are the heavenly treasures? Verse 20, but store up for yourselves, Jesus says, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so it's a very similar pattern. And so if, if, if earthly treasure is insecure, or heavenly treasures then are secure. They're things that then last, where moths and rice or mice and rats can't destroy them. They don't rust or fade away. You can't lose them. They can't be stolen by thieves. There's an eternal value to them. Well, heavenly treasures are also spiritual things. And so earthly treasures are 
material and heavenly treasures are spiritual. And these are those things that we do on earth that ultimately last for eternity. Investing in things that last. Not, not, it's important here to know that this isn't like buying our way into heaven. This isn't like sending things ahead to build up credit for us so that when we arrive at you know, the pearly gates that, that they'll swing open because we've got an investment there. No, not at all. We are secure in our relationship with Christ and our eternal security because of Christ's righteousness. That's been credited to us. That is our credit. And so it's not about kind of having this um, stockpile there. The bigger the stockpile, you know, the easier it is we get into heaven. Now, in fact, Jesus actually said that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Well, We need to remember that when we're talking about spiritual things or heavenly things, it has to do with God. It has to do with God's reign, even in our world. And so this isn't just a future thing. This is a a here and now. And so treasures in heaven, uh, they can include a number of things. Even when we think of an investment of time, because we might say, well, time is money. And so if we spend time, you know, growing in the knowledge of Christ, where we really want to know Jesus, and whether we invest time or maybe we actually take a course somewhere and we spend some money on it, that is an investment in spiritual things. The development of Christ-like character is also a heavenly treasure. It's when we walk with Jesus. And so all the time that we've talked about, even in the last few weeks, about fasting and prayer, that is an investment in spiritual things because we walk with Jesus. Or active engagement in mission where we intentionally want to share Jesus with others. Sometimes it's just through our actions and our care and our concern for other people. And sometimes it's actually through our sharing and our words. But certainly treasures in heaven also include using financial resources to fund Christian ministries, to fund Christian causes, especially those that minister to the poor or are engaged in the pursuit of kingdom values. And and so, yes, this does include the church because the church is about these spiritual things. It it is about disciple-making. And we invest money uh, individually and collectively in disciple-making. We invest money collectively and individually, even in missions. And so when we decide to put a missions budget together, we look and say, what are those things that that are furthering Christ's kingdom? That are, that are expanding the kingdom, that are doing good work, whether it's a ministry to the poor or whether it's a camp in Romania. How can we invest in those things in a very tangible way? Well, throughout the Gospels and here in Matthew and here in the Sermon on the Mount, we see time and time again that Jesus is concerned about justice. He is concerned about issues of poverty. And as Christians, we can't just turn a blind eye to that and and put on blinders and pretend it doesn't exist. There is a call for justice for the poor. In fact, when we looked at the passage on giving in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, there it talks about giving to the poor or almsgiving. Now, 
This text that you see on the screen is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. And I believe it just beautifully illustrates this contrast that we've been talking about. This contrast between uh, earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to to turn there with me to Luke chapter 2. And I just want to read this because uh, it just is so fitting. Uh, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So first clue, just stop there for a second. This has to do with greed. All right? One brother wants his inheritance early. And so he says, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him this. Listen carefully to these words. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You see right there, that, that really is a stark contrast to a worldview that says, no, our life does consist of the abundance in our, of our possessions. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Isn't that what we're about? So Jesus goes on in verse 16, says, Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'm going to say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So it's just... A life of luxury now because he's got his barns full of grain. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, those those storage barns full of grain, those things that you've prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I mean, basically, he was hoarding his grain, keeping it for himself. He had this surplus. Some of you have maybe seen the show uh, on TV called Hoarders. And um, it's actually kind of a disturbing show to watch. I haven't watched it for a long time because I did find it kind of disturbing in that way. But so many times, I mean, obviously there's a sickness involved. There's, there's some psychological things going on there for sure. Um, but there's also, I think, some sin issues, which is a sickness of sorts, right? And, and, um, and the sin there is greed. It's just this sense of wanting to have more and more and keeping it for ourselves. And friends, that's exactly the picture that Jesus contrasts here. He says it very clear up front. Be on guard for these things because our life doesn't consist of all of that abundance of our possessions. Now, when we think of hoarders, we always might think to ourselves, well, you know, we're not that bad in comparison. But if our focus is simply to accumulate more and more in this life, then we do miss out on the opportunity to be active participants in God's kingdom work. Now, I want to just say this. It's important for us to know this, that Jesus is not against 
possessions in and of themselves. This is not a, you should have no things and, you know, leave a, live a, a life of, you know, extreme poverty or something like that. That's not at all what he's saying. The issue here is about storing up those possessions, piling up those possessions, having more and more and more and more, and then never having enough possessions. That's the issue. He's not against saving either, because it's wise to prepare for the future. I mean, the scripture is even clear about that, about how important it is to make sure that you take care of your family. Enjoying, he's not against enjoying what we've been blessed with either. Um, So don't feel bad about having a nice dinner from time to time. Just don't do it too often. Jesus is not against serving God and others with our resources. That's his heart. What he is against, again, is a preoccupation with stuff. A preoccupation with those possessions. He is against hoarding and keeping everything for yourself. He is against greed, where you're always wanting more and never having enough. He is against envy and jealousy when others have more than you. Friends, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And everything that we accumulate, all the stuff that we have, will eventually be worn out, thrown out, used up, uh, totally waste away, either during our lives or after we die, because we can't take anything with us. Even the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, you know, we brought nothing into this world. We're not going to take anything out of it. So let me be really blunt about this. I always find it helpful to to warn you that uh, this is about to sting. And maybe it takes a little bit of the sting off. It's kind of like, you know, when you get that injection and they say, this is just going to pinch a little and you kind of steal yourself a little bit. So just steal yourself a little bit for this right now. Brace yourself. As followers of Jesus, who say that we are committed to kingdom values, we actually should be rather uneasy with affluence. If we are rich, we should really think deeply about the responsibility that we have. And maybe that means we even have to rethink the cars we drive or the homes we live in. Because should we, who profess to be followers of Jesus, should our life's pursuit be to finally have our dream home? Is that what life is about? When Jesus so clearly warned us that our life is not in the abundance of our possessions? Now, I know those are hard questions, and there aren't easy answers. I don't mean to make light of that at all, but we should at least be willing to wrestle with what we value or what rules us. And you know how easily we can assess what we value? Check your checkbook, review your visa statement, examine your budget. How we spend our money says a lot about what we value. So that's the contrast between what I'm going to call earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. What is the contrast between two focuses? Because the second contrast or the second comparison that Jesus makes is on the basis of our attitude then towards money and possessions. Again, it is so stark here, this contrast, that it should be easy for us to decide where we will put our attention. 
to make this point, Jesus contrasts between a person with sight and a person who is blind. Now, he's not being literal here. It's a, it's a figure of speech. There's a metaphor here, and I'll get to that. But he really says there's two different focuses that we could have. We can have either a generous focus or we can have a stingy focus. And so let's look at, at the first one, generosity. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, which, which the implication here is that it's, it's generous, you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. And Jesus uses the eyes and the condition of the eyes to make a point of the different focuses a person might have. On one hand, you have a a healthy eye that's full of light, and you have um, a healthy eye, and it lets in light to guide you. A healthy eye is one that we could say is focused on God, and will see everything through that spiritual lens. Uh, Most importantly, they'll have a, a generous focus. Now, in contrast with that healthy and generous focus is a stingy focus or an eye that is unhealthy and ultimately is in great darkness, he says. A person will be blind and doesn't have the ability to see things from God's perspective. And so verse 23, but if the eyes are unhealthy, he says, which now again implies stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Friends, the bottom line here is that Jesus is saying that a key symptom of spiritual health is the generous stewardship of possessions. Uh, There's so many passages that we could look at. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 uh, to 15. 2 Corinthians uh, 9, verses 6 and 7. um, And verses 11 to 14. Let me just read uh, 9, 6, and 7. There he says, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And then he goes on in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. Friends, simply to say this, I read those and share those with you for this reason. We have been called to give generously. And and if we have surplus, we should give even more generously. Because the issue is never a person's net worth, but how that wealth is being used. If there are large amounts of surplus, then it should allow for extreme generosity. And he says here this whole idea, this analogy of the eyes giving sight to what the body does. And so again, it's this the, the sight, you have good sight, you can see, the light comes in, it reveals what's good inside, and what's good inside is generosity. And on the flip side of that, if you're blind, all, all it is is darkness, which then implies that it's bad or it's evil, and you're stingy. And that's the contrast that Jesus is making here between these two eyes. 
And it's a physical fact, but it's also a metaphor. Because throughout the the scriptures, and Jesus does this often, is the eye and the heart are interconnected. And so it really begs the question, what is your focus? What is our focus? What is ultimately our approach to giving? What is the focus of our heart? How do we view the resources that we have? And the contrast is clear. We either see it through a lens of generosity or we see it through a lens of stinginess. Where we're either looking out for the interests of others or we're consumed with selfish ambition. Where we might have a heart full of compassion or a heart that's just obsessed with a relentless pursuit of more. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is our focus? What is your focus? Where are your affections? James K.A. Smith writes a book, You Are What You Love. And and, and this is the simplest summary of it, and it's probably not going to do it justice at all. But it's just simply, he makes the point that our hearts set the direction of our lives. That it's what our hearts love, it's what our hearts worship that ultimately reveals a little bit more of who we actually are and who we become. And so who do we want to become? Where will our focus be? Will it be on earthly things or will it be on heavenly things? Will it be on temporary things or eternal things? Well, lastly, there's the contrast between two hearts. Verse 21, Jesus makes this very clear statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, another way of saying this is your heart follows your treasure. You want proof of that? Uh, You get a new car. Where does your care and attention go? So I remember very clearly when I got my first nice new car, you know, it was babied, it was cared for, it was washed every week, it was waxed and detailed because that is where my treasure was. That's where the affections of my heart were. And so the question we ask is, how are our hearts aligned with our hope? Our hearts follow our hope. And I think that when it comes to money and possessions, Jesus and and then the New Testament writer, we're going to look at at a passage from Paul to Timothy in a second, but really makes the distinction that we either will hope in wealth or we're going to hope in God. And for this contrast, I want to just turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And here in the last few verses, beginning in chapter and verse 17. Let me read this. He says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. <clears throat> Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure, here it is again, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Now there is so much there, but basically what 
Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, listen, there's a couple of warnings here we have for the rich because they do face some very specific dangers. He said there, first of all, a danger of arrogance where we can look at our wealth from a perspective of pride and we just think, oh man, I've got it made. I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient. I don't have to depend on anyone or anything. Paul calls that out. He also calls out a misplaced security. Because if we look at the abundance of the stuff that we've accumulated and we say, well, look at what I have. But it's really a misplaced security because you can't depend on it. Paul says it's so uncertain because it's an earthly treasure that can disappear. It can evaporate. Remember the moths and the mice and the rats and the rust and the thieves. And so Paul says the alternative is to hope in God. To trust in the giver rather than the gifts themselves. But did you catch it where he said who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So again, God blesses us with resources, and he blesses us with possessions, and he gives us the blessing of enjoyment of those things. God is so gracious and generous towards us. That's his value. And he wants his children to have those same values. And so if our treasure is truly in heaven, if we're focused on generosity and our hope is in God, we just need to ask ourselves, so what does that look like? Let me give you just four very quick practical things from that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Number one, do what is good. So straightforward, right? Just do what is good. Because lots of good can be done with money. Lots of good can be done with an investment of our time. But we should never hoard it or keep it to ourselves. We should never selfishly accumulate it. We decide early on when enough is enough and then we use the rest to do good. Secondly, we are rich in good works. So it's not just enough to do good. He says you've got to be really rich in those good works. So in other words, don't look to just get away with the minimum. Be absolutely intentional about blessing others. Just be rich with your riches. Thirdly, be generous. He just keeps kind of piling it on, doesn't he? You see, wealth is really a responsibility. We have to steward it. We have to manage it. We have to be mindful of the fact that all that we have is God's anyways. It's a gift from God to us. He entrusts it to us to manage it, to steward it well. And he intends for it to be used for the furtherance of his kingdom and for the good of others and the well-being of others. That's the perspective that he wants us to have. And fourthly... Be willing to share. It's just about uh, what I would say compassionate living. Simply being willing to take all of what has been given to us and to have compassion and sympathy with those that are suffering because of their inability to meet their own needs. We've been called to step in at times and help meet those needs. And so there you have it. It's a different kind 
of piggy bank. One involves earthly treasures and hoarding and greed and sin, a stingy focus, and our hope rises and falls with it and the stock market. The other is the one that Jesus commends. Heavenly treasures, a focus on generosity, a hope that is placed only in God, not in the gifts that he gives us. And Jesus comes to us and says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, the choice that we have is to pursue one or the other. And we must choose wisely. Jim Elliott chose wisely. He was a young man in his mid-twenties who was called to be a missionary, went to Ecuador, and he knew of a tribe that was known to be savage and hostile towards outsiders. And yet he went. And he and four of his colleagues were killed. But before that happened, one of the things that he journaled, and it's a famous quote by Jim Elliott, is simply this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May that be our truth today as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those places that it makes us uncomfortable. We think about our own views of money and possessions and how we invest our time and our treasure and our talents. And I pray, Father, that we would see that you have just clearly given us a different kind of piggy bank. Our world sees it one way and wants to have more and more, but you see it another way. You want us to give more and more and to be generous to be willing to share. And in doing so, we store up treasures in heaven. And Father, you've called us to do those investments now, to support ministry, to support causes that really are in line with your heartbeat for your kingdom. So Father, when we think of your kingdom, we think of your rule and your reign, and I pray that we might see how we can align ourselves more accurately with the way that you view money and possessions. So, Father, I pray that where we've been challenged, we would really think deeply about these things. Father, maybe we've been encouraged. I know that there are so many generous people who already get this. But I know they also continue to learn and grow and strive. There's so many times where we're concerned about what we have and what we might not have. Help us to be people who truly put our hope and our trust, our commitment, our loyalty, our devotion, and we give it all to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.